This is a reading from Psalm 68, verses 1 through 6, 9 through 12, and 17 through 20. May God arise. May his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. May you blow them away like smoke, as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God. But may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. You gave abundant showers, O God. You refreshed your weary inheritance. Your people settled in it, and from your bounty, God, you provided for the poor. The Lord announces the word, and the women who proclaim it are a mighty throng. Kings and armies flee in haste. The women at home divide the plunder. The chariots of God are tens of thousands and thousands of thousands. The Lord has come from Sinai into his sanctuary. When you ascended on high, you took many captives. You received gifts from people, even from the rebellious, that you, Lord God, might dwell there. Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, City Church, Eastside. My name is Dan DeCrisio, one of the elders here. Uh, thank you for coming, joining us this morning uh, on this Sunday late in July here. Can you believe it's the end of July already, school's going to be starting in a couple of weeks. Where does time go? I know, Christopher, geez, Louise. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about power. And the title for today's sermon is Song of Power. Now, when Alicia, my wife, and I lived in Brooklyn a number of years ago, we led a community group in our 450-square-foot apartment. Yeah, some of you probably have closets that are bigger than that. It was me... My wife, Alicia, and Mr. Nibbles. Mr. Nibbles, who became Dr. Nibbles because we, dis we discovered that Mr. Nibbles wasn't a mister. My friend Max misidentified uh, the, uh, the rabbit's gender, and so we renamed the bunny Dr. Nibbles. <laughs> now, to help Brooklynites, I should say, to help encourage Brooklynites to come to our community group at the time, our pastor on a few occasions, used to sell the congregation on traveling out to Brooklyn to visit our community group. And we lived in Brooklyn, which, of course, was a cool borough, and that we had this free-roaming bunny rabbit named, of course, Dr. Nibbles. And many times, in the depths of our prayer and meditation, Dr. Nibbles would be moved, I don't know, moved by something Moved by the Holy Spirit, I hope, and would hop all over everyone and everything. True story. In our kitchen, which is also our living room at the same time. <laughs> Alicia and I didn't have kids at the time, so Dr. Nibbles was our fur baby. It was our child, basically. We um, were pretty obsessed with rabbits at the time. And if you ever saw my wife's tattoos, you know, that's evidenced by her tattoos as well, too. She has a few bunny tattoos. We watched from time to time the bunny movie called Watership Down. Maybe you've seen that movie before, Watership Down. It is an animated, questionably child-appropriate cartoon that's sort of like Lord of the Rings, but with bunnies. 
It's sort of like Lord of the Rings meets Blade Runner or something like that. I mean, it's just, it's, it's pretty intense. <laughs> now, if you know Watership Down, or if you just know bunny rabbits, they're hunted by everyone and everything in this world. They are hunted and killed by farmers, uh, hunters, of course, wolves, cars, cats, hawks. One of the famous quotes from Watership Down is this. All the world will be your enemy, prince with a thousand enemies, and whenever they catch you, they will kill you. A rabbit is basically nature's cheeseburger. They're cuddly, cute, but they are lowly. They are meek creatures that are constantly under the threat of harm, threat of death. Outside of their ability to run fast and hide, they are relatively powerless in the face of their predators but not Dr. Nibbles. Not Dr. Nibbles. That bunny lived the high life. I mean, Dr. Nibbles was half the reason why most people would come to our community group in the first place. Our pastor, Sam, he sang a song of power over that rabbit. He gave that bunny power. And I'm not talking Energizer bunny power. Veritable celeb status within the village church, Greenwich Village, New York City. But it was not in the bunny's own strength. So what does my rabbit have to do with your salvation? Nothing. Sermon over. Sorry. <laughs> Nothing. Doesn't have anything to do it. But a long illustration here, and maybe we'll get it by the end. We're going to talk about power and powerlessness and powerfulness here today, friends. You may have heard a little bit of this in the text, like that we have a powerful, sovereign God and that there are powerless people out there, poor people, and we have kings and rulers that have power, but what type of power is it? It could be puffed up with this worldly power. And friends, I propose that when we have a relationship with Jesus, that in Christ, when we are united with him, we become more powerful when we become less full of power. I'm going to violate the sermon preaching rules today. One point, not three, one point is that when we are united with Christ, we become more powerful when we become less full of power. Last month, you may remember that uh, uh, we talked about Psalm 110, a psalm of David, where we explored that interesting connection between high priest Jesus, high priest Jesus and the, the uh, mysterious Melchizedek. But also... Who is Jesus? Well, who do we talk about? That Jesus is the Son of God and the victorious King, Christus Victor. Today in Psalm 68, we continue in that theme of the conquering King, but also pick up a little thread from Mike's sermon last week for some continuity here. What did Mike talk about? He, one of the points was about being covered and uncovered. Nakedness versus being covered, which today is going to relate a little bit to power being covered in power. But first, let's look at today's psalm. As we discussed in Psalm 110, we see the kings and the king's enemies. And like in the last sermon, we asked, well, who are the enemies of the king? Well, interesting, Psalm 68, like 110, is looking at the now in the time that it was written, of course, during David's reign. He was writing these psalms. But then the not yet, the time to come, the last days. But also, this psalm is recounting the past. It's recounting the past. Scott, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the importance of remembering, right? 
And that's exactly what David's doing here, that through this psalm, he's drawing the listener back to another song, another song that was sung way back in the time of the Exodus, when the Israelites were leaving the the slavery situation that they were under in Egypt. So let's listen to this, a song from that time, from Exodus 15, a song of Moses and the prophetess Miriam. I'll skip around a little bit because this is pretty long here. I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk into the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like stone. Your right hand, at your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power, your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All of the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Remember that from our psalm today. Terror and dread fall upon them. Because of the greatness of your arm, they are still as stone. Till your people, O Lord, pass by, and listen to this, till the people pass by with whom you have purchased, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. The place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. When I was reading this yesterday, I, I got goosebumps. I mean, doesn't that give you goosebumps? I, I, I mean, the Scripture in and of itself has power. And all throughout Scripture, the prophets, the good kings, what did they do? As Scott talked about, they called the people to remember. To remember that our God is a powerful, powerful God. That He's a God of salvation. That we are to remember His goodness in the now, in the past, And in the future to come, because what does it say? He will not change his mind. He will reign forever and ever. Going back to the uh, bunny rabbit community group. uh, I remember we did a version of this as a a community uh, as well. This remembering and telling stories. There was one gentleman in the group, and when we first met him, he was a, a single guy. I think he just left his job and... He and a few buddies started up this production company. It was a production company that focused on helping out nonprofits with videos. And for anyone that's ever tried to start a, a new business, and Reed last week prayed about small business owners, you know it's, it's risky, it's difficult. For a number of years, it's very hand-to-mouth. And also being a Christian single as well, too. It's tough, right? It's hard. It's difficult. The world has its own version of what singleness looks like, and it's like that old Outback Steakhouse uh, uh, slogan, no rules, just right, right? Where does that leave us? And then there's the opposite of that, of being faithful. So after much prayer and uh, this gentleman's own faithfulness, he was a good guy, things started to change. After a couple of years, he met this wonderful girl, he got married, his business started to, to take off, and Actually, after a couple of years, he discovered 
in our community group that he had a lot more stresses now. He had new stresses. He was, he was coming to ask it for prayer. I'm married now. Like a, I have new challenges associated with that. I'm drowning in my business. We actually have so much business, I can't get all of it done. We don't have enough people. I feel overwhelmed now. I feel lost. I'm overcome by circumstances, and they're good, and I prayed for them, and I got them now. Now what? <laughs> oh, friends, you know, I, I ask, is that, you know, do you identify with that there? Do you identify? Have you experienced that same type of thing? Well, friends, I have felt this way, of course, before, where, the, where God gives you the desires of your heart, and it's a good thing, but it just presents new challenges. And then you're back in this place of frustration, back into this place of feeling powerless, lost. And you're saying to God, like the psalmist many times, what are you doing? What are you up to now? Help me. And I propose that's exactly where God wants us. That's exactly what the good father wants us. That was a place for us with this friend, for the community to press into his life, to sing a song about God's power his track record of faithfulness. And we'd say to our friend, we'll call him Bob here. Bob, remember how far the Lord has brought you? Remember how good he is? He is with you. He is powerful. His plans are powerful for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, We'll put it up on the screen. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plan to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. We remind Bob, you me, each other, that our God is a good Father. He knows how to give, give good gifts. He's a God of kindness. His plans are powerful, more powerful than our own plans. Speaking of power here, let's also take a look at something sort of peculiar in the text as well, too. And I sort of alluded to this in the intro. We know, we know, of course, God is powerful. We just talked about that. But how about these other people that are mentioned here in the text today? Let's list them. The fatherless. The widows. The prisoners. The lonely. I know that some of you can identify with this list of people, the fatherless, the widows, the orphans, the lonely, maybe you are in this place right now. Maybe you or I have been in this place in the past. And I want to just let you know that your experience, your experience of being in these places, is so important to understanding the heart of this text and also the character of our God. And if you don't know what this feels like, I want us to, I want to help here. I want us to enter in. Speaking of widows, I came across a site that was called The Five Things That Only a Widow Will Understand. And when you hear this, I want us to enter in and feel the pain a bit. I want us to feel what a widow may feel. And we'll put it up on the screen here. It's a couple's world. And socializing after the loss of a spouse is never the same. Even a very caring network of support can't replace this one thing we had. A shared and equally vested interest in the outcome of each other's lives. 
following the loss of a spouse, I feel like I'm only half of a whole. Every part of my day and routine is now changed and altered, especially when it's time to go to sleep. My spouse filled more than just one role in my life. Friends, how does that make you feel? I know for me, as I read that, I sense a feeling of loneliness, a feeling of loss, a feeling of incompletion, maybe a feeling of powerlessness. Now, now think of a prisoner. Think of a fatherless person. Think of an orphan. They all share some felt experience of powerlessness. Of powerlessness. Do you know that you have a God a God that makes it a point to care about this? That there's actually laws in Scripture to care for this special group of people. Deuteronomy 27:19. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, and all of the people shall say, Amen. And the prophets address this, that the people in power... And people in power, they neglected quite often the needs of the poor and the powerless. And prophets like My, Micah and Isaiah called the people to repentance. Isaiah 117, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. It is because of the character of God here. It is because our God is a Lord who does what? As it says in today's scripture, we can bring it up here. He is a father to the fatherless. He is a defender of widows. In his holy dwelling, God sets the lonely in families. He leads the, prisoner, the prisoners out with singing. Our God, understand his character. He has a perfect, righteous, compassionate heart for the poor and the powerless, that many times, not by their own doing, but the doing of others, of broken and corrupt systems, of systematic and personal sins, find themselves to be fatherless, widow, prisoner, lonely, on the margins. And as it says in our scripture this morning, that these kings and these armies, that they represent a type of power, a type of worldly power, and many times in Israel's history, including their own people, they were the oppressor. They put heavy burdens on the people. They sent people into exile, blocked their way to the promised land. But our God in his power, he has demonstrated what? He has demonstrated that he is victorious. He has promised he is, was, and will be victorious. And look here in the text, friends. Who divides the plunder in victory? We can't skirt by this. The women... The women. Who proclaims the news of the victory? The women. Everything in Scripture is there for a reason. Everything's there for a reason. We just can't breeze by the mention of women in this high and victorious status here. If we go to the New Testament, this should remind us of something. The receiving of gifts, the proclaiming of good news should ring a bell. Let's go, or actually, let's remember here, Mary Magdalene, Jesus' mother. 
if it wasn't Jesus' mother, Mary Magdalene and Jesus' mother, go to the tomb and find the stone turned away and empty. An angel shows up and says this, Matthew 28, 6 through 8. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly, tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly, and from the tomb, with great fear and joy, these women ran to proclaim the good news, to tell the disciples, Christus Victor, it is Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection. That is the ultimate victory here, reversing the curse. It's women who announce the good news first. And this has been said many times before at City Church Eastside. This was so countercultural in this time. This is so countercultural up until like 50 years ago, right? Because a woman, a woman was lacking power. Because really, back then, especially in biblical times, a, a woman's testimony wasn't even worth it in court. We're lacking power. But we have here the proclamation of God's victory in Christ, His power. That he chose to empower women with this message. Some of you know the, uh, the great Greg Birch. I know Ed does. He's going to like this. I think he said maybe a friend or his spiritual director. Spiritual director. I forget her name, but we'll ring a bell. Said, Greg, God isn't interested in holding up the belief that you can do it without him. Maybe you've probably heard that. I paraphrased that a little bit. I texted him earlier this week. Said, what was that exactly that you said? It's like, I don't remember it actually that way. Greg, God isn't interested in holding up your belief that you can do it without him. And doesn't that ring true all through all of Scripture in our lives? That God actually chooses the lowly, the meek, the underclass to shame the worldly wise. That God is a God of justice. And justice means making something right. And one of the ways that God makes things right is that he covers the powerless with power. With power from on high. And whether you don't have power because of some injustice that has been done to you, or that you have chosen to give up or leverage or lay down your power by God, you are called blessed. You are blessed. Whether you're in this state, not of your own doing, or whether you choose a lowly state to lay down your power, you're called blessed. If you're familiar with the Beatitudes, a list of the Beatitudes, uh, it, it lists the blessings upon the people of God, that they would be happy. We learn that. Most of the times, this blessing is expressed and placed upon those who are lacking power. If you know the Beatitudes, what do they say? Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, friends, you, you may be sitting here saying, uh, well, I've, I've lived a pretty privileged life. I mean, I, I have a father. I'm, I'm not poor. I'm, I, I'm not a widow. I... You know, I lead people. I have respect and power in, in the workplace. How, how does this relate to me? I don't, get, I don't get it. What are you trying to say here? Well, let's take a, a, a detour on the word meek for a second, which is pretty interesting. Meek comes from a word of, of Greek 
origin. Meek in Greek. And that word is praeus. Praeus, which is translated as strength under control. Strength under control. In biblical times, war horses were trained to be meek. Trained to be meek. Strong and powerful, yet under control and willing to submit. So follow me on this. If you're a person of privilege and power, that's okay. That's great. But is your strength under control? Is your power under control? Is it under submission? Is it under authority? We we talk here many times about discipleship, and discipleship is about bringing our lives more and more under authority, under the lordship of Christ. And again, this is precisely where God wants us to be. Precisely where he wants us to be. Uh, That old pastor from New York that I was mentioning to you, Sam, he used to say this, You might be on the sidewalk of the Empire State Building, and I might be on the roof. And I may yell down at you and say, look at me, how high I am. But relatively speaking, we're the same distance from the sun. No one is righteous, not one. In the eyes of our God, we are all orphans, poor, powerless, and weak. We are all the same distance from the sun. God knows this and He wants us to know this as our reality, of course. But he doesn't leave us in that reality. He wants us to know this, of course, to humble ourselves before him. But he doesn't leave us in this lonely place. The Apostle Paul knew something about this when he talked about his own weakness. And he received a word of the Lord and he said this in 2 Corinthians. We'll put it up on the screen here. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may do what? Rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the gospel, friends. This is why the angels long to look, as it says in Scripture, to stare into the gospel because it's a beautiful thing. It's counter to the culture of this world that when we have a relationship with Jesus, that in Him we do what? We lay down our power. But in laying that down, we are covered with great power. A banner of victory is placed over us. A song is sung over us. One of my favorite scriptures is Zephaniah 3.17. It says this, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. Let me say that again. He will take great delight in you. Let me say that again. He will take great delight in you. If you don't believe that, friends, believe it this morning, that he will take great delight in you. His love will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That is how the Father feels about you. No matter the burden you are carrying in here today, no matter how maybe you screwed up this morning, last night, last week, no matter the shame, the pain, the failure, the loneliness, the inadequacy, The frustration, the tiredness, 
the dryness. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but rejoice over you with singing. This is why David wrote Psalm 68, friends, because our God is a God who saves us from death. He is worthy of praise. So, friends, let's take Jesus' brother's James exhortation in James 4.10 to our, to our hearts here. Humble yourselves before the Lord. Let us humble ourselves before the Lord because the promise is He will lift us up and He will exalt Be the bunny. Be the bunny. We are made powerful in our meekness under the lordship, the victory won by the king. This should not lead us to despair, but to bless him. Worship him today on this Sabbath. Let us pray. Father God, Lord Jesus, you've given us such a gift. When you ascended on high, you gave the church, you gave us gifts, Lord. And the little whispers that we hear, this is who we are and this is our reality of whether this has been injustice done to us or, or our own sins or, or whatever, Father, God, does not, does not matter because of what you did on the cross. Father, we've been adopted into this family and we get to cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, you are our good, good Father. We are no longer orphans. So, Father God, let us rest in this power today, this song of power, Father God, that you sing over us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. As we always do every Sunday, we have the opportunity now to